Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa, and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Hey, hope you're having a good week. This is Melissa coming at you from a closet in Mexico. I <laughs> was going to record this before we left, but I, I made all my notes, but I didn't actually get to record it. So I'm doing it on vacation before um, everyone wakes up. We came here in search of surf. We told ourselves, so if you've never listened to the podcast, we lived in Hawaii. Our family moved to Hawaii from Arizona um, for the year 2021. So when we left last December and came back to Arizona, we told the kids, we're going to keep surfing because we, we learned how to surf there. So... This is our first surf trip where we're, we're finding surf someplace other than Hawaii. So it's been really fun, really fun to explore new surfing locations. And I don't know, I like the culture, the culture here as well. But I've had, what I want to talk about today is kind of a sequel, if you will, to um, episode 14, which is an episode that I shot with Deb Cleveland about real estate and Deb was kind of a mentor of mine when I wanted to get into real estate. And I've just had some things happen lately that has me just thinking about real estate. I actually sold the the first property that I ever bought. And I've only been doing real estate um, since 2020. So I'm very like fresh and new about it and new to it. But within the last like six weeks, I sold that first property that I bought. My second property I bought... I think July 8th of 2020. So we just passed that anniversary and I just refinanced that. This my So I own three properties right now. And my third property is, I've been renovating it. It's in the little town where we live in right now. Um, and it's just about to finish up. So I've just been been thinking about, about real estate. And so I thought it would be cool to put together, kind of revisit that conversation that I had with Deb. It was over a year ago. And then just talk about 10 things that I've learned investing in real estate over the last couple of years. And I think this conversation, it it sounds like, I think if you're listening to that, it's like, oh, this is a real estate conversation. I don't invest in real estate. It could sound like one to turn off, but I think that you'll find value in, in this uh, conversation, in this episode, even if you don't invest in real estate, because it's, it's really been like real estate for me has been not just like about Oh, like I like investing in real estate, but it's been a really a journey of like, what are my passions? What do I love? Like what makes me um, feel fulfilled? And I think those are questions that I'm always asking myself, you know, of whether it's real estate or not. It's like asking ourselves those questions. So stay with me, even if you don't invest in real estate, I think you'll like it. And I'll link back to episode 14 with, with Deb. She's, she's awesome. And that was, it was a great episode, but really briefly, my story with investing in real estate is I used to 
work as a nurse. I started nursing school like two years, two weeks rather after Chris and I got married. And I worked, you know, I went through school. I worked full time for a short time. And then we started having babies. And after that, the most I ever worked um, was one day a week. And I loved, that's why I kind of got into nursing in the first place is I loved the flexibility of the career. It felt like a safety net for me. Like if something were to happen to Chris or there was a reason I needed, I would need to bring more money to our family, I would be able to, but it was one where I didn't, I didn't have to as well. You know, you can kind of be flexible with nursing in that way, which really attracted me to the career in the first place. But there came a point where I, like from a financial standpoint, I wasn't, we weren't relying on, on my salary or my income anymore. Um, and so I wasn't working as many hours and, you know, we kept having more children. We have five children and it just wasn't making sense anymore for me to work as many hours because, you know, the childcare and we were homeschooling at that point and, and I, and around, this is all happening around the same time where I had our last baby and my license was up for renewal and I had to make a decision like, okay, am I going to keep my license current or am I going to let it go? And in Arizona, you have to, um, have a certain amount of hours worked in order to renew your license for the, it's like 960 hours over the past five years, I believe. And I just didn't have those hours. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to like push it for the next six months and get a lot of hours or I'm going to let my license lapse. And it was such a difficult decision, but I ultimately, which I'm so grateful that I had this option. It wasn't like we had to, like I said, um, rely, we're relying on the income, but I had to decide like, okay, am I, am I going to let this go? And ultimately I decided, you know, the things I love about nursing, I don't have to do nursing to, to have that. Like I love talking with people. I love like educating people. I worked, um, primarily actually in like a pediatric capacity. I love educating families and parents and, and I've realized I can do that in a different way than nursing. So I did let my, my nursing license lapse, but there, which, yeah, that was a a really hard decision. And there were a lot of people that were like, why are you, why are you doing that? Like you're like, you shouldn't do that. You should keep that. Like that's really safe. But I just felt like it wasn't it wasn't right for me anymore. And even if I did go, you know, even if something did happen to Chris, I would still be working, you know, long shifts and it would require me away from home a lot. And I was trying to find something else that that I could still make an income, you know, if I needed to, because for some reason that's important to me. I don't know why, <laughs> but um, but it wouldn't require so many hours like away from from the family. And I've always loved houses. My dad, my dad worked construction. He just retired last year. He worked construction my entire life. He did, he does stucco and stucco goes on the outside of the house primarily, if you don't know what stucco is. And usually you put it on like after the windows are already in, the walls of the exterior and interior are up. And when I would go with him to like his job sites, I loved going into the houses and walking around and seeing the floor plans and, and, you know, the decisions that the the homeowners were making and stuff. So I've always loved houses. And I was looking like with us owning our 
our own business, Chris owning his own business. Like we don't have some of the built-in things that other careers have like 401ks and pensions and, and whatnot. So it was also getting into real estate was, I think, um, looking long-term, it was like, okay, but we need to start thinking more about retirement and how we can have some residual income and like a long-term plan for retirement. Um, so all those like things together, my love of houses and the need for, you know, more long-term retirement. And I honestly, I wanted to find something where I could replace my nursing income if I could. So that was my initial goal going into, into real estate. And I guess that brings me to my first of 10 things that I've learned investing in real estate over the last 10 years is having a vision. You have to have a vision. And my initial vision was I wanted to replace a nursing income. So I wanted to buy properties, rent them out, and then have that income, that rental income, replace my nursing income. Like what, what would be a monthly nursing income? So if something again did happen to Chris or we needed income, like the real estate would be, would be creating that. And I felt like I would feel like, um, yeah, that I had that. And so that was my initial, my initial vision going in. And then I started working with Deb around this time too. Chris knew Deb and he connected me with her. And so I started, um, she started kind of coaching me about real estate, like how she, she's in her sixties and, um, has built this, has built a really great real estate portfolio for herself. And so I started working with Deb too, and she's really big on creating a vision, um, more of like a financial numbers, like how big of a real estate portfolio do you want? do you want to have? And then let's like back in how to, how to create that. And I think that is so important. I've noticed when I did have a goal with real estate, cause sometimes I don't like, I like my first initial goal was I wanted to buy two properties. And once I had done that, I would notice like, okay, I kind of like lagged, <laughs> like I didn't, um, when you didn't have a vision, I didn't, I wasn't actively like looking or pursuing something and you know, my results weren't, weren't coming as, as quickly. So I think it's important to know what you want. You know, if you do decide to invest in real estate, have a vision for what you want to create. I wanted, um, a million dollar real estate portfolio, which in Arizona, you could honestly achieve that with one or two properties. Whereas Deb, she lives in upstate New York. It would take her more like 10, 10 properties to achieve that. But either way, knowing what you want and having that vision to work towards. Okay, second thing is to, you have to talk to people. And this probably sounds obvious, but I learned this from Deb and I think it kind of comes natural to me. She's like always talking to people. So she, like, for example, she'll go, um, she'll be at the paint store. I think she's told me a story at um, about how she was at the paint store and she started talking to someone. She overheard someone talking, so she approached them about the property that they were trying to sell. Like their mother had passed away and they were trying to sell her property. And through that conversation, she was able to buy this property and renovate it. And it was a great property for her. She talks about just walking the streets, like kind of identifying where you want to invest in real estate and then just like, you know, take a walk there as often as you can talk to the people that live nearby, tell them, Hey, I invest in real estate. If you know of anyone, here's my number. 
And I remember when I bought my, so my first property I bought was Deb actually sold it to me. I was looking in Arizona for a property that kind of, um, I thought would make sense like that she, so Deb has this like formula where you, it's basically, you have, you obviously have to rent it out for more than more than the mortgages. And so I wasn't finding anything in Arizona at the time where I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to make a good, like I'll make money on this. And so I had approached Deb and she's like, do I have this property in upstate New York? I'm getting ready to sell. I'll sell it to you. This can be your first property. Like I'll, she basically gave me a, a favor and was like, here, let me set you up with your first, with your first property. And, and that was the first property I bought. So it was in, it was in upstate, upstate New York. And then the second property I bought is, it was in the area where we lived, which is where I wanted to invest. It's in, it's in Gilbert, it's in downtown Gilbert, but it was about a 15 minute drive from where I was living at the time. But I've always loved this little area. It's like the houses are very, well, when I say very old for Arizona, they're, they're quite old, at least for Gilbert. They were built in like the 19, um, like forties, fifties, sixties. And which I know doesn't sound old <laughs> for for some people, but for this part of, of Gilbert, those are like the oldest homes in the town. And I just think it has a lot of charm and I just always really loved it. So I decided like, oh, that was part of my vision. Okay. I want to invest in this area. So ever so often I would like drive around the neighborhood and I walked through it a f- like a few times and I would took down addresses of, of, um, properties that I really liked or thought I had potential and potential meant like, okay, they were maybe like really run down, but I was like, these have potential. And I wonder, I wonder why the owners let them kind of run down. I'm going to, I'm going to try and find out. So it was actually my first walk through downtown Gilbert. I wrote down like three different addresses of houses that I thought would be good options. And then I got on the internet and just tried to do research, finding like, okay, who owns these properties? And I ultimately, I think I just made one phone call that day to one of the owners of one of the properties and they called me back a week later and they were like, yeah, we have been thinking about, about selling. And so I think just me talking to people, like walking around, like that led to, that led to that second purchase. There's actually a property that I want to buy in our, another little property I want to buy in our small town that, um, like I was, I've thought it's a cute property ever since we moved there last December. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago I was driving by and I was like, Oh, it looks like it's open. So I, I had Ivy, my 10 year old with me. And I was like, Ivy, we're going over there. So we, um, drove over to the property and I like kind of knocked on the door and the owner was in there and, um, I just started talking to him and he's like, yep, I'm ready to sell it. And he's owned it for forever. But that's just another example of like, which I hope that one goes through. I'm like so excited about the possibility of it, but just like talking to people about, <laughs> about anything, but just not being afraid to talk to people. And Deb also ta- had taught me that most of her property she finds off market. So I, that always has surprised me. Okay. The third thing, so have a vision, talk to people. The third thing is, has to do with the financing of the property. And this is also something I learned from Deb. She talks about finding creative financing. And so that, that would be my third thing is creative financing is a thing. And so I think the only thing I knew, like how to finance a building or a property is that you go to 
the bank, you find a lender, they, you know, you put a certain amount down and then they give you a mortgage and that's how you acquire a property. But she opened my eyes to many different options. Um, I guess mostly what she uses is the one that the owner will carry. So basically the owner would act as a bank and then that's how you could finance it. You wouldn't actually have to go through the traditional routes. And I know that, you know, if you're just getting into real estate, that that could be invaluable. You know, maybe you don't have, you know, a large down payment that, that a bank would require for, um, like an investment property. But if the owner's willing to work with you, you know, you might, you could hire, um, like a real estate attorney if you want to write up a contract. And then basically you would just pay them, the owner, a certain amount of money every month. And, you know, eventually you would own it. You know, obviously you'd want to talk to a, a, a real estate attorney about this, but basically that's the gist of how creative financing would work. And that's an option. So that's a thing. So knowing, know that there's other options to finance properties. Like if it's something you really want to do, like explore, explore other financing options. Okay. The next thing is to get, so say you have, you've acquired the property. The next thing is you got to find a contractor or someone to do the work. If you're not going to do it yourself, which I did not do the work myself, my second property in Gilbert and needed quite a bit of work. And so did my property in, in our hometown where we're living now. That was my third purchase I made last December was this little property where we live. I just wanted to, um, it's been, so it's right next door to Chris's parents. And the whole time I've been in the family, it's just been really run, run down. And so I felt like this would be a fun project to take on, help me get to know people and just have something to do in this, in this new town. And I've really loved doing it. But what I've learned is that you have to get several quotes from contractors. And I think I'm saying this with everyone, but this is also something that Deb taught me. She said, you want to date, date your contractor first. She's like, just don't jump into marriage with anyone. And what that looks like is, you know, say you have a big, a big project. She's like, don't go straight to the big project with them. Like let them try, try like a little bit of it first and see like, do they show up? Do you enjoy working with them? Um, what's the quality of their work? So for example, the property in the little property in Arizona, it needs a lot of like removal of, there's like this big rubble pile and the property just needs like cleaned up and it's, it's quite a big project. And I found, um, at the post office, there was like a piece of paper with someone's number on it that says junk removal. (laughs) So I called, I called the number on there and I was, and I, and rather than being like, Hey, I have this entire property. Can you clean it up? I was like, do not let me start with a small bit of this. I'm like, can you give me a quote to remove this little wall? And he did, he removed it. He did a great job. So then it would be like, okay, let's talk about, maybe I'll go to the big, the whole thing now. Maybe I'll do one more step up. Like, okay, how about this smaller rubble pile? Can you remove this one? I probably would go to the the whole thing just because I had a great experience with him. But before going straight to like the big project, try him out first, date a little bit first. I felt like that was such great advice. And then kind of along those same lines, how someone is showing up to, to the job is how they're going to show up. So for example, if they, if someone gives you a contractor, gives you a quote and 
they say, I'm going to have it to you by tomorrow. And then it's like Friday and this tomorrow meaning, uh, say Tuesday. And then it comes, it's like Friday. They still haven't given it to you. And then you call them and they're just like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I'll get it to you by Monday. Like that is not a good way to start a working relationship. And if that's how they're showing up to the quote, like that's how they're going to show up to your job too. So I've several times I've like gone against my gut feeling and actually that exact scenario happened. I don't remember like the days exactly, but it was like, I'm going to get you a quote by this day. They didn't, they didn't. I really just wanted the job done. So I ultimately hired them and it, yeah, that's how they showed up like for the entire duration of the project. So definitely remember that how they show up, like for example, if you're going to meet them over there and they're running 30 minutes late or an hour late, like, okay, that's something to note. Um, but how they show up to that initial process is how they're going to show up to the whole thing. Okay. The next thing, realize that you're not going to get it all right. Mistakes are going to happen, but just vow to learn from them. Um, my property in Gilbert, it, I had it all done and renovated and we got our, so it's actually a four unit. So four um, little apartment kind of things. And I just put my first tenant in finally after this project that took so long because of that contractor issue I was just talking about. Um, finally got my first tenant in there. I was so excited. And then a week later, um, we just moved to Hawaii. I got a phone call saying that, um, hey, we're having some plumbing issues over here. You know, long story short, we found out like, okay, the plumbing in the house is this cast iron plumbing and it's got to all be redone. And so it was like really expensive. The, um, the tenant had to move out for a period of time and it was just super, yeah, it was a mess, but <laughs> I was like so mad about it, but I realized like, okay, what I can learn from this is what I should have done is I should have had a plumber come over. They should have like gotten a camera and looked at the, the plumbing and just seen what kind of condition it was in. And then I could have done that. Like as I was renovating the property, I could have done it rather than like my, it was completely done. They had to like take out all the concrete in the bathrooms and redo the plumbing. It was like a huge, huge project. But now I learned you know what? You need to get a good view of the plumbing. And then this little house I bought, um, in our hometown, it's older. It was built in like 1930. That was like one of the first things that I realized, like, okay, we got to look at the plumbing underneath, like get a, get a good view of it. So I was like, okay, I feel like I learned, I learned that lesson. So even when mistakes happen, realize you can learn your lesson. I also made some bad hires, um, like with, um, the property manager, or sorry, with the contractor they told you about. And then the first property manager I hired to manage my, my four unit in Gilbert when we were moving to Hawaii, I made a bad call with that. That was more of like, um, someone we had known for a long time. And so I just felt like, oh yeah, we know them. Like, I'm not really going to ask around a lot about property managers. I'll, I'll just go with them. And it ended up not being a great situation. Like I, the um, units weren't renting and one day this is this is like the day before I think we moved to Hawaii I was like why are these units not renting I looked um 
I decided to drive by and call the number that was listed on the sign that they had out front and the number was disconnected. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like I'm not, I'm not like uh, renting these units because the number's disconnected that is on the sign. And I was like, that's not a good, not good. Anyway, so I ended up, I guess, firing them, hiring a new property manager and that, that made all the difference. That was a mistake too. Just hiring someone because they're, you know, you'd known them for a long time or whatever, but not really asking questions and, and vetting them or their process. Okay. The next thing is, and I learned this one from my dad <laughs> to communicate clearly to your contractor, what you want. So my dad, the building needed some stucco. So I had my dad uh, do the stucco and he would, he always gets frustrated with me because he can, because he's my dad <laughs> or as a normal contractor wouldn't, but he would be like, Melissa, I don't want to come over here and talk about ideas. Just tell me what you want. And part of that is I just don't know what I want because I don't know enough, but I can see you know, as time's gone on and I just did this other little property, I can see when I have a more clear picture of what I want, it's easier to communicate that to the contractor because they, I mean, they'll talk ideas with you a little bit, but it's so much easier if you like can be a little more assertive with this is what I want. How can we make this happen? And then, you know, maybe ask like, what do you think? But having an idea of what you want will go way faster and smoother than well, like, let's talk about ideas, communicate clearly what you want. Okay. The next thing to make investor friends or hire a mentor. It's been so invaluable for me to have Deb initially. And then going forward, um, I met like some super cool people that live, mostly they live around that four unit that I bought people that are investing in that same area. And I, it's been fun to have someone to talk to about real estate, first of all. Second of all, I love being able to ask them questions because um, inevitably there are things that I don't know. Like this little house in Pima, I called, I actually FaceTimed one of my investor friends and was like, hey, what do you think about this flooring? Like it was really cool, like original wood flooring. And he's like, and I really wanted to keep it and refinish it. And he was like, do you want, honestly, I feel like although it's really cool, it's going to be really expensive to redo. He's like, I would put a nice, um, like a vinyl plank flooring over it. And you can always come back to that flooring later that's underneath it. And I was like, he's so right. So just having someone to bounce that off of, and then he'll message me sometimes and be like, Hey, what are your units renting for right now? Um, I just love having like friends, I guess, to talk to about it. So make investor friends or hire a mentor. The next thing is that I love, I guess, leaning into the fact that I am a woman <laughs> and what I feel like is a traditionally a men's kind of thing, um, men's profession, like real estate investing, because, and this is something again that I learned from Deb, She's like, you can bring something to the profession that a man generally doesn't. And two examples of that are, um, when I bought my four unit in Gilbert, the owner, it, he, he was using the building, the four units, he was using them as, um, he owns a local dairy. 
he had been using since the 80s the the property as housing for for his employees so it was his employees that were in there but they were moving the dairy to like an hour south and so that's why um he wanted to sell the property he didn't need it for housing anymore but it was really important to him that the house um that the units that whoever he sold it to that his tenants his employees they had time to find new new homes he didn't want the the new owner just to be like okay i own it you're out if they hadn't secured um a place to live you know further south yet and so i guess he had had another offer on the property but they were like no like if i buy it i want them out this day and i was willing to be like you know i i can totally see that like i wouldn't if they were my, you know, longtime employees, I would want them to feel like they had time to find a new place and to feel comfortable with their new place and not be worried, like, am I going to be, you know, without a house? And so working with the owner saying like, yeah, they can, they can stay longer. Um, that's no problem. That ultimately led me, led him to choose me to buy, to buy that property. And then this other property that I'm looking at right now, it's really, it's an older property and it's really important to him that whoever buys the property kind of maintains the charm of it. He doesn't want someone to come in and totally modern modernize it, which I love like old old house charm. So that totally works works for me. But he's like, I'm not going to sell it to anyone that that is just going to modernize it. So I think as a woman, like I can have these conversations and really listen to like what's important to the person on the other side. Not that men can't, but you know, just in a different, a different way, like really taking, having like that nurturing tendency and that care and that listening that I think comes natural to a lot of women. And even this man that I've, that I was just talking about, he was like, I think it's really cool. He's older. He's like, I think it's really cool as a woman that you're, that you're in real estate. He's like, I can see you can do, women can do a lot of things and they can do them really, really well. Um, Anyway, I just thought it was funny that even he noticed, like, because he has other people looking at his property, too, um, primarily men. But he's like, you bring a different energy to it than these other than these other men. And he's like, I like that you're willing to work with me. I feel like you will take care of the property, that you will, you know, just provide something that this, some of these other offers maybe aren't, and that he feels comfortable, comfortable moving forward with me, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Okay, and then the next thing, realize that you'll probably be scared, but that doesn't mean that it's a no. I think in the episode I did with Deb, I asked her, like, how often are you nervous after you buy a property? Like, the the deal's done, and she's like, oh, a lot. And she's bought in hundreds, probably, I want to say dozens, probably hundreds of properties, and she's like, every time it's, like, still a little bit of, like, a, oh like a little nervousness, but I don't think that means it's a no. Like I think sometimes in my experience that a nervousness could just be because it's new. It's like new territory, at least for me, is always like a little, a little nerve wracking, but that doesn't mean that it's a no. That's something that I've learned. Um, so I guess in conclusion, those are my, my 10 things. I'll revisit them real quick. Have a vision, talk to people, Explore other financing options. Creative financing is a thing. Get several quotes. 
how someone shows up is how they are going to show up. Realize that mistakes will happen. Just vow to learn from them. Communicate clearly what you want. Make investor friends or hire a mentor, some people, someone you can talk to, work through things with. Um, know that, you know, you can bring, my note here is the talking about women in real estate, but know that you bring like special gifts to to real estate that maybe no one else can, like bring your unique spin to it and realize that you might be scared and that that's okay. It doesn't mean it's no. So those are the 10 things that I guess I've learned over the last couple of years of investing in real estate. But I guess to bring it all back around, I would say you, maybe it's real estate, maybe it's not, but like really look at your life right now, ask like what you're doing and really ask yourself like, okay, is this, do I love this? Like maybe I used to love it. Do I still love it? Um, does this like bring me fulfillment? Does this bring me joy? Like really asking, asking yourself that about maybe it's about your career. Um, or, you know, there was a time, like I said, I primarily just stayed home with the kids for many years. I still do, but there was a time when I didn't have any little babies anymore and I felt like, okay, I have, I feel like I have this creative itch. Like I feel like I want to be more creative and make things. And I feel like I could feel maybe a little more, I don't know, passion and excitement about something. I want to have a project to work on. And so my sister and I, and um, a friend, we started again, initially started, we would just buy old things and kind of resell them at markets. But then it turned into more like making little home decor type stuff. And, and we sold that. I did that for, for a year and a half, but that came from really asking myself, looking at my life, feeling like, you know what, I feel like I want more of a creative outlet. So even if it's not a career, it's like looking at, at your life and saying like, do I want anything more? Do I feel good? And then, you know, maybe there is something, something more that, that you want to pursue for me at that time, like I said, it was like a more of a creative, a creative outlet. And that was so fun. Like that fulfilled like so much for me in that time. I was, I was always like on the phone with my sister, my friend talking about like, okay, what are we going to make for this market? And what should our, um, you know, theme be? And we had to make like a booth and, and, you know, make display our things like in a really beautiful way that people would want to come in. And that was super fulfilling for me at that time and I love doing it and then just know that you'll never you'll never have it all at all figured out just continuing to look at you you help it maybe feel like you're figured out for a little bit but then you'll be like ah, oh, something I want to pursue this other thing or I feel like something's missing like that I want something more like lately I've been feeling like you know I haven't done a lot of that creative stuff lately I love working with my hands like like I'm great with power tools. <laughs> when I own my own house, I always have a project going on that I'm like, oh, let's put board and batten here. Let's repaint these cupboards or whatever. But the last couple of years, we couple of years we haven't owned our home. We've just been renting, and so I feel like I haven't been able to uh, be as creative with my hands as I like to. Like most of my creativity is on the computer, on paper, and or on paper, and that's just different, you know, than actually making something with your hands and I feel like I've been missing that so I want to I want to add some of that into my life and yeah so just asking yourself is this you know is there anything that I want to do different career-wise is there anything I could add or subtract from my life to feel more fulfilled and maybe it is a subtract maybe it's like okay this thing that used to bring me joy isn't but I'm still doing it just because I always have 
done it or I've done it for the last however long, but maybe it's a subtraction question and not an addition question, but taking a step back, really looking at what's bringing you joy and what's not, and then making a plan to, to find more joy and more fulfillment in, in your life. So I hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Hey there, thanks for listening to today's episode. To show our appreciation, we want to offer you a free gift. We have an incredible online course you can get now by going to familybrand.com or by following the link in the show notes. And while you're there at familybrand.com, be sure to follow us on social media so that we can go on this journey together. Lastly, if this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you share it with another powerful family in your life and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. We will see you in the next episode.